0: I'm Helen Marshall, and this is the Diary of a CLO. I hope no one's listening, but if you are, definitely share it. In this episode, I'm joined by Ben Williams, an ex-Royal Marine Commando, author of Commando Mindset, and co-founder of Lupin and Omni. Ben brings a fresh perspective to how we develop ourselves and those we lead by thinking like a commando and being trained in certain ways like one too. And of course, in this conversation, we dig into AI, its impact and opportunities for LD. because Lupin have been ahead of the game for a while on this front. There's some really interesting perspectives shared here. Enjoy. Ben, hi, and welcome to Diary of a CLO. I'm so glad that you can join me today. I'm really excited about this conversation because I first came across you and one of your episodes that you recorded with Stephen Bartlett on the other well-known podcast Diaries of CEO and I guess was really intrigued by your story and your background and, and how that's fed into the work that you do now but then also, more specifically, as someone who works in the SaaS space, what you're doing with Lupin and now Omni as well, which we'll touch on later. And then the coaching and speaking side of your your role and how that kind of all comes together and feeds into each other too. So I want to dig into all of that stuff and there'll be lots to dig into. From Marine to entrepreneur, and I guess that sounds a bit like a movie tagline, how did you get to where you are today?
1: Luck. And stress, I think is the two thing, combination factors, maybe stress is the experience, the entrepreneurial part, I actually believe most veterans, especially the ones that I've served with in kind of the front line, the more, I suppose, uh, higher tier organizations, such as the Marines, parachute regiment, special forces, et cetera. I think we're quite entrepreneurial anyway. You know, when you look at the entrepreneur experience, it's about adapting and overcoming as quick as you can to the challenges you face and you know almost pivoting and pivoting and pivoting until you get to the place that you need to be of success and something's come to fruition that's pretty much the sort of bread and butter of fighting in a battle it's threat arises that's the challenge are we going left are we going right flank are we withdrawing slightly Are we going up the middle do i need more support what do i need to do to complete this task as a frontline veteran you're, you're very much always thinking about how do I get out of the challenge in order to be successful which is can I bring you know my guys and girls home in one piece and alive that has so many correlations between the military and, and being an entrepreneur because you're constantly living in a high stress state you're having to adapt and overcome to every situation nothing certain your runway is going to run out soon which basically me it is like the business version of death and everything that comes with it so I think it's being quite an easy transition into doing it I think then there comes the part of actually doing it which is that getting up every day you know there's more setbacks in the day than I think there are successes and that roller coaster by midday you're questioning why you're taking on this job and why am I doing this and then by the afternoon you're like this is the best thing ever I love it it's it's just perfect for me and the next day like I hate this I don't want to do it anymore and I think it's being able to be comfortable being uncomfortable is an important factor and there's a lot of similarities yeah that's how I kind of glided into it I think that's the sort of link between being a veteran and being an entrepreneur although interestingly last year I spent some time with investors and VCs and one of them you know respected VC that I've got a lot of time for said you must be breezing through this founder entrepreneur life you know having your experiences i was like no it's it's probably the hardest thing i've ever done the military is very binary it's like i'm going here if i do my job well there's less chance that i'm going to lose a limb or i'm going to die whereas in this world it's it's not as binary it's not as clear and actually the stress in battle is very cute it's like it happens and then you're into rest, and then it happens again then you're into rest. whereas Business and especially running your own business, it's continuous stress where you're living through that constant anxiety of getting people paid at the end of the month. You know, chasing everything, and so it's very different. And I've learned a lot about myself in the process as well about how my mindset needs to be. But equally, yeah, like I said, starting the point is I think there's a lot of veterans within the military community who who would make fantastic founders and there's some great ones out there doing some awesome stuff way better than I'm doing as well uh, who are actually killing it and I think that's just because they just get on that's part of the DNA I suppose.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned your own mindset there because obviously that's a big piece of what you do is coaching other people and, and having mm. conversations which which I presume a lot of the time talk about their own mindsets and shifting their own perceptions or expectations so is it working on your own mindset something that you've I suppose done a lot of previously and does it, how does it feed into your work?
1: Yeah, I think I think in all honesty, in the last year or so I've actually neglected, you know, my own personal development to a degree. I've become quite embroiled in the business, you know, I'm a dad and you know, I've got a wonderful wife, so that's kind of my other part of my life which I invest a lot into. And I think actually, you know, up to recently it came off the sort of beaten track of my own kind of personal development, how I look after my own mindset. Ironically, started writing again. And that was what became my cathartic approach when i wrote my original book commando mindset about how marines think and how it's applicable outside of the military and you can use it to now doing it again essentially where i am moving into the founder's mindset and have been here a couple of years and i think to myself oh right I've started writing again because it's cathartic to write about what I'm going through and the journey that I'm on so hopefully that comes to fruition over the next year back to your point there's something about seeing people develop I love it you know I, I love coaching people still I don't have as much time to do it as I used to it's not the core framework of the business but I think with what we do in business in the sense of how we you know our product looping but also omni our latest product, which I'm sure we'll talk about shortly, you get to see people develop, you get to see people improve, you get to see those anecdotes and, and those testimonials and those case studies. And I, I just love it. It's something that I, I loved it in the military. I wouldn't say I loved the front line. I think if you find yourself saying that there's probably something deeply wrong with you, but I, I really enjoyed being on operations. I, I, I had a lot of pride in serving my country, you know, an immense amount of pride serving with the guys and girls i worked with But it wasn't the training environment. And then when I came back to the UK and started going into the training environment in the military and taking recruits from, you know, wide-eyed civilian through to trained frontline commando, absolutely loved it. You know, something about seeing someone go on that journey and become something that they've always wanted to be is incredibly powerful. And then add that in with the whole element of seeing other such teams advancing themselves when we worked with England football and seeing Gareth turn a squad of Premier League players who are in different clubs into the United England. You know, they started to really perform. They started to do really well. Had they won, I'd be taking all the glory, but they've still got some working points. And now just seeing it in business, you know, working with people and hearing it anecdotally, you know, that really is my purpose, seeing people improve. Ultimately, the casualty there probably is myself, that if I'm spending too much time helping improve the lives of of others, what am I doing for myself? So fortunately, I've got a nice expensive mountain bike that I go and thrash myself on and regularly crash to ensure that I'm at least developing in
0: one area. You're still alive. (laughs)
1: Just, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. The the person who sold me the bike in the local bike shop actually lives about three doors down. I said there'll be a time very soon when you see me in a neck brace and a a broken arm walking by. (laughs) Tenor on it in a month or so but yeah I read less but I listen more and I find that I go more to podcasts and audio books to do my learning and there's always an element of personal development I think it comes in its waves though in our lives sometimes you're you're really on it and you spend a few months really working hard on your development and other times you you come off it naturally and I think I'm just coming back being really on it but back to your point it's just I just really enjoy seeing people improve.
0: I think a lot of L&D or learning or training professionals are guilty of not dedicating the time Mm. to their own professional development. But also it sounds like there's a lot of skills that you're developing as a founder that aren't necessarily equatable to professional. You might not be equating them to professional development, but you're actually developing professionally as you're doing those things. So it's interesting how people equate, you know, space to learn and actually learning whilst you're actually doing something which is exactly what you were speaking about at the beginning there
1: yeah that's actually a really important point that i've reflect on recently it's good that you bring it up you know there's been a lot of pain in building our business any business carries pain there's there's unfortunate casualties along the way there's really low moments that you're going to go through especially if you start to go down the investment route and yeah i've definitely i wouldn't say hit rock bottom but i've hit the extremities of how much i think you can push yourself a day in day out in doing this and then you find a way through and i think it's a really good point you bring up because someone said to me a while ago building a startup like a live mba you're you're never going to get the experiences in a large organization or even a smaller one that you don't own or run you're never going to have the full-on experience of gathering all of that information and those new skills as you go through the entrepreneur journey Then you will as a founder, you've got to be the CFO, the CEO, the product guy, the CTO in some occasions and all of these things, the sales, that's been one of my biggest and hardest hurdles is selling and all of this you learn. And then actually, yeah, you're right. You look back three years, it's a blink of an eye really and be like, wow, we've raised X amount. We've achieved this. We've signed this customer. We've done this. We've done that. No, I'd I'd love to consider myself quite employable if it all went wrong, and I think that's a scary thing for founders. Is like, oh, who who will employ me if it goes wrong? And it, it, you're right, it's your your development can be looked at sat in a corner reading a book for a while, or or actually bringing together a board deck which you've never done before and having to work out how to do that, delivering that. And then you're like, ah, oh, I just delivered to the board, and I delivered a board deck on all these different things that I've never done before. I'm pretty chuffed with that. So yeah, it comes in different ways, different guises.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, You've touched on Lupin and Omni there. I'd like to, if you can just give me a bit of a whirlwind tour of each of them, because obviously Lupin is, as I understand it, AI powered personal professional development, whereas Omni is the kind of the coaching side of that stuff that's still ai powered and that's a very <laughs> high level overview of what they are but if you can yeah tell me the why essentially because you, you touched on there that i guess when you were in those moments of this is so hard why am i doing this why are you doing it and why did you do it in the first place
1: yeah it's probably better to give you the why and why it was all founded actually and then how we've arrived here so in a nutshell so i did 10 years in the military between 08 and 18 and then as i said my sort of i really enjoyed that whole training piece that was where i sort of finished off my career. And I was medically discharged. So I never really wanted to step into the whole civilian world. I I don't think I thought I was ready for it at the time. And then when the, you know, the big boot comes up your ass and says, you're out because you can't hear very well, which isn't the reason I wear these massive headphones. (laughs) (laughs) This just makes it more comfortable. And I've got to find a job. I was like, well, I'm not going to go and work for anyone for a while. I want to do my own thing. I've got some ideas. And, you know, the, the most resilient person and the most stoic person in my life is my wife. And she was like, OK, well, we've just done 10 years of the military going to war and stuff. Let's now put all more risk into things and build a business. Crack on. And so there's a lot of risk for us. And and I, I committed to it. And I went into coaching and consulting and I set up my own sort of boutique consultancy where I was just coaching some small companies for a while. And then I partnered up with my business partner at the time and, and we sort of created a new business out of it. And it was really exciting. We work with some of the biggest brands in the world, which I just don't know how we got in there there's a saying in the marines called no cuff too tough which means anything can be pulled off anything You just got to make it up as you go along and i think the no cuff too tough attitude helped us just keep knocking on doors and people said no or work out how to get in before we knew it we were delivering a program to three and a half thousand people within one of the main banks one of the biggest bank on mindset and like three and a half thousand people you can then imagine what that financially does and then we're off with one of the big social media companies went back into football it just all started to come together and and it was this whole training and coaching environment that was just amazing to be in but when covid struck no one wanted coaching or training it was shut the shop survive 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 and that's completely fine that's You have to acknowledge that that is the right decision for most businesses at the time. You're literally in firefighting mode. You're on the front line. You know, had you said in Afghanistan or places like that, right, we're on the front line. Let's do some training. Everyone would have gone, what? You're there. You're doing the job. So companies went through that. We respected that. We had some capital from our original business left over and thought there's something here in technology that could actually bridge the gap between the development where we started was the development of managers through understanding their people so how can we get rid of the engagement survey and how can we understand how people are feeling and how do we then use that data to inform the manager of what to do based on that data and so as we kind of that's what looping became and as we went on that journey essentially sentiment analysis you take sentiment analysis of the team or the individual you apply it to ai models that in turn pulls back to the the line manager who is the one who needs to upskill the most on what to do and how to do it based off that data so not like random tips of hey did you think about doing it but helen's not feeling great today and helen's put herself as an introvert and she likes to work in the mornings here's three things you can do to have a really great conversation with Helen on how to improve her morale this week that's far more granular and far more detailed in bite-sized tips so that's still there and still um Lupin still carries on it's a it's an incredibly strong brand and the product's always changing and then last year end of last year when GPT sort of landed and open AI and then the the AI resources and technology started appearing we thought well there's something that we're doing here already that we could then Probably pull out and create an additional offering with it. And for me, it's always been I just have always thought the training space needs to be better. We approach blended learning in the right way, but quite clumsily. It's like, hey, here's your workshop. It's virtual, it's in person. Here's the stuff you need to know. Here's the PDF to reference the workshop. And if you have any questions, get in contact with the supplier or go on the LMS and learn more about here, tick boxes, watch videos, and all that stuff. But we're so diverse now in how we learn. We've really got to consider that the journey for people needs to be more personalized. And so sat in a workshop, I, I have and still facilitate those workshops. And I know 50% of those people are there to get a day off. They're like, yep, cool. I stay out of the office and I'm going to sit and watch this Marine talk about mindset and hopefully I'll learn something. There's a real struggle because the person who's booking you is like, oh, I really want to wave the magic wand and whatever you speak about today is going to change some of the business problems that we're facing. But it's never going to change in your one-hour workshops, never going to change in your three-hour workshop and even your weekly consultancy. And it won't change through an LMS. What I believe is missing and what we're doing now with Omni is why are Marines so good at what they do? Why are athletes so good at what they do? It's because they're constantly around the training and the upskilling, constantly. And then they'll play a game of football at the weekend or they'll go in an operation. It's actually like their job is only 5% of the work. The rest of it is training and, and getting ready for that event. Whereas the civilian workplace is more 95% your job, you're doing it, 5 to 10% upskilling and training which is really backward so then we struggle with why don't we have high performers or or what does a high performer look like if we flip that and said imagine if your people were being trained almost all the time while still doing their job imagine what retention would look like imagine what performance would look like revenue would look like engagement and so our version of that is how do you take all of this information that companies use within their content their resources their learning their training You put it all into one place, into their own branded, personalized AI system that each of their employees can go into and say, I'm in the sales team. I was on a course last week about X model. How does this apply to what I'm doing right now? And here's your answers. Okay, can you actually refine that into three bullet points? Okay, can you turn that into a song? And essentially using AI GPT to plug into your data as a company to make an experience that's never been seen before and it can't be done through gpt alone or ai alone because it's open source you've got closed source material and that's what we do we take that closed source and make it more accessible but in a one-to-one approach that's built for all and that's essentially what omni does it's, it's taking that information we work with coaches we work with podcasters training companies taking all their content and putting it into a little chat bar that you can ask it anything and it's going to come back and yeah, so it's an it's a powerful way to look at how training can be done in the
0: workplace. I think it's really refreshing to hear these approaches coming through and I think it is as you say responding to the changing requirements and needs of new generations particularly that are coming into the workforce. I feel like there's a challenge there with how the tool would be utilized by people kind of doing the work on a day-to-day basis accessing, and you can provide insight here, I hope, in terms of, I'm going to use this little chat bar to find out information I'm looking for. But the step before that is someone is motivated enough to go to the platform to put in the right type of kind of prompt, I guess, to find information. And I guess, how is that facilitated and encouraged in the organizations you're working with?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. For answering it, the argument back actually is how many people actually go into LMS and take it seriously and look for it you know just before yourself having a call with some of the team and we were just talking i was trying to find a deck somewhere in our google system g drive and i was like i can't find it anywhere and uh someone on the call was like that's exactly what it's like in the bigger businesses, you just can't find anything. So you become demotivated in finding it. So I think the problem's actually already there in a lot of companies as we spent all of this money on these resources, but no one ever sees them. So for us, it's about, okay, for the company, how do we bring that closer to the surface? I think then when you speak about the individual user, well, first off, you know, we can integrate. So we can integrate into platforms where it's just there where you're working anyway. So that that's like a first win. The second part of it is how do you make the experience really feel valuable to the user and so there's this whole prompt theory and how you you can use gpt to basically solve most of your life problem if you have the right prompts for it so where we work with companies is imagine setting up a question library or nested questions where you've got like leadership sales or hr and you click on one of them and it it nests down to the next level and you'd be like process on putting in x and doing this or y and click that and so you actually have an experience that you're not even having to ask the question you can kind of click through the system and get to the point and i think people are very inquisitive there's another part to look at though so first off you've got to prove the value so once once they see, oh actually i've got some stuff back which is really useful and it understands me because it begins to learn that's the first sort of value tick the second part is we live in a world now where i think it's 25 at the moment is gen z you know it's swiftly coming up to 30 30 sort of 5% over the next few years. And Gen Z have a very particular way of operating and a little bit like millennials as well. And, and I, I don't think we need to generationally divide people, but what I think we do need to do is ensure that we are building for our future generation workforce. And they are the most digital generation there they are the ones that are going to use ai if you go on twitter it's generally gen z talking about ai and what it can do and the tech community obviously but wider it's you can see the generations which are talking about it so then for a generation that doesn't ask that many questions they're very outspoken but actually asking questions is, is very different for them it's a different experience there's a lot of bias there's a lot of judgment in the working environment how do you actually pull that bias out remove that and then give the platform for the next generation of workers and employees to have that more curated, personalized experience. They're probably more likely going to use that over this clunky LMS system that they got a deep dive into, you know, something within three clicks is far more efficient to them. It's what they're used to. Plus they don't ask questions as much, or they don't converse as much. I was reading an article the other day that 65% of HR leaders believe that Gen Z don't ask questions and so are hard to work with in the workplace, which is quite a staggering figure, really. And it's not that they don't want to ask questions. I believe it's how they want to ask questions and to who. And if they're in fear of being judged or there's a bias present, how do you remove that? So you can do that through tech to give them the same answer that they might have got from the individual far quicker And yeah, without that feeling of being judged. And I think that's a really, really important thing that we've now got to look at when it comes to learning. It's not just what technology does for us all and how do we get into it. It's who does it do it for? And soon it's going to do it for predominantly most of your organization.
0: There's something in this around the conversation that you've been part of recently around AI for good. Mm. I think I've been approaching this from, I use the term cautiously optimistic when I talk about AI because Well, I I know I'm definitely not an AI expert, but in our approach uh, as a product or within the industry, as L&D teams should be approaching AI cautiously, optimistically, because we don't necessarily know how it's going to impact everything. We don't really know enough about we just we might just be throwing AI at something and it might not be the right thing to do. Whilst it's very exciting and, and hugely exciting to be seeing the, the, the blow up of AI more broadly, mm. there are conversations around what are you actually doing with it? And, you know, the ethics and data collection and stuff like that that goes on in the background. It sounds similar to what you were just saying there. And yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Because I've seen you part of a conversation recently around that.
1: I think it's easy to be judged to be in tech and um, tech has a reputation, doesn't it? It's quite a severe reputation. And that's why things such as tech for good, you know, when was tech ever for bad? And, and suddenly it's got to have a reputation of tech for good. I do tech for good. I don't do what those other people do because of all the scandals and everything that's taken place and the mistreatment of data over the years. The same is going to be for AI. I think th- there's a point to be made though, where, When did you ever think you'd be putting all your money transfers online? When did you think you were going to go? Everyone was rebelled against putting cash onto a credit card. Then they rebelled against doing it online with internet banking. And then, you know, not maybe as big as AI and how AI will transform the world, both good and bad. But, you know, still the same tech adoption around getting in a stranger's car to be driven down the road by Uber. When the hell did we think we were going to put pictures of our knees next to a swimming pool? post on social media and go ah two weeks out of office you know tinder all the dating apps like our approach to technology comes with fear with then sudden adoption and i think when people there's always going to be pain there's always going to be challenge there's always going to be negative things that come out from new technology waves the that will always be there and that will never go away. that will never go away for the next piece of technology. And yes, AI is one that can absolutely transform. And yes, there's a lot of worry and there's concern and it's out the bag and it's running around the room now. And it's the responsibility, I suppose, of well, us, but then those bigger organizations that control the artificial intelligence to actually you know, put parameters and caveats in place to ensure it stays safe. So these pressures and these issues will never go away. And it is probably the biggest thing that we've ever faced. However, then there's still always opportunity. There's always opportunity within this. And if AI is going to be used in a bad way, I want our company to be using it in a good way. And I've had this already with what we're building with Omni. It's like, oh, can you take all of this data and put this on there? And, you know, that's employee data. That, that could be financial data. And and I'm, I'll am i just sit there and go, no, because it, it carries too much risk. Until you know more about the potential of AI, then do you really want to carry that much risk in possibly leaking that data but your leadership manuals and your processes and your handbooks and everything that comes in that sense of upskilling then there's less risk to that information being leaked and what it means and so how do you use it in a way to help employees grow and flourish and I think that's really the true meaning of it of where we sit and I think it's a shame we're already calling it AI for good but you know if there is going to be that yin and yang approach to artificial intelligence then I sure as hell want to be seen as in the good camp and doing things for the right reason
0: i mean you've been using ai in your product for what years now so it's not something that you've been you know you've suddenly seen and thought actually we're going to do something with that so before this became a topic of conversation were you consciously thinking about that the, the kind of the ethics that go along with utilizing ai
1: i wouldn't say thinking as much as we do now because I think what's caused a lot of the thinking, the ethical thinking behind it is the hype has you know exacerbated how we all think about the ethics and the standards and the risks associated with it. When I look at what we were doing before, we've been playing with AI for some years now, like you said, and, and actually our first touch onto AI was using um, a particular AI set that helped us take sentiment data and turn it into predictive analytics. So based off how we don't do it in loop and of an individual level, because you can't predict for an individual's ups and downs but you can actually predict an aggregated level for like the size of the team or the department and based off current morale over the last three weeks quarter year this is the predictive analytics of what could be moving forward and then how do you predict that over three four five years that's a really smart way of using ai and i don't mean that in a gloating ego way that's a clever use of ai because you're taking data and making it usable through ai to go oh. If we carry on what we're doing right now, we could hit this point and that might be a good point or that might be a really bad point. But you can see it on a graph presented in Lupin. This is how you've been over time and based off that data and through this calculation, you could be here if you carry on doing what you're doing. Now, like I said, that could be good. Like morale's on the rise. Great, we should probably do some training. This might be a really good time to start a project. Ah, morale's on the dip. This is heading in this direction. Or well, that carries risk of burnout. That carries risk of retention. But where companies find themselves is, oh, we had 25% turnover this year. And this is what everything said in the engagement survey, where that data's been building up for a year, six months to a year. And then what we're doing is we're providing you that information through AI. Like now, mitigate this risk now. And And this is how it can go away, and this is how you can solve that problem. Like that's a clever use of AI, and we were just using it. We were just doing it, and customers were like, well, that's really smart, that's quite clever. We'd like that. Now we move into this hype bubble of what's happening around AI and you you can speak to many people in the industry. People have been working on artificial intelligence for decades. We've been using it in the military for decades. like artificial intelligence isn't new. The trouble is it's now accessible to the mainstream. And that's different. difference. So that's where it gets abused. That's where the bigger risks happen. It's. I don't think it's the companies. The companies have a huge responsibility, but it's the individual user who now has their hands on it. And that's where you now begin to think, uh, how are we using it? How do we treat the data? What are the risks to our business? What's the risk to our customers? And uh, But I think that's fine. It should teach us to think like that. Again, if you're going to do AI for good, be knowledgeable, be good in what you do. Ensure that you mitigate as many risks as possible when you work with the correct partners.
0: There's an education piece in that as well for anyone who is utilising AI at a very basic level in what you're actually doing when you're using it, when you're prompting it, when you're supplying it with information. So you just mentioned your customer there who asked about employee data or financial information. You, You know, obviously, your recommendation is don't put it on there. That comes from a place of not necessarily knowing that doing that would be a bad thing to do. And I think that's the same with anyone who's using AI tools within a business that might be just experimenting with them and not really knowing what the implication of doing it is. So there's an element there around upskilling ourselves, if we want to use these things, that will sometimes fall on the responsibility of a vendor or the creators of a tool that didn't really exist before either.
1: No, I think there's also part that us as a company, where I suppose you sort of seen as that third party really we've created products that within our tech stack have you know gpt's api open api open ai api we'll probably move to other ai platforms in time as as the bigger maybe larger language models come out as well and then we have our customer and how we work is we actually are the ones we're the company that stores the ip if you send us a a book or a manual we're the ones that store it and then we use gpt's api to talk to it the fear then for the customer is oh what what's happening with gpt is it you know is it taking our data and training it and putting it into open source and the answer is simply no gpt's business won't grow if that's what they do with all the data that they receive and so you know, we've got all the documentation and GPT are quite explicit in saying, if you're using our API, which is what we use to talk to ours, that is explicitly not used within our training models and that data is not stored. It's about educating the customer to say, this is what we use, this is how we use it, but your IP, your data is actually with us. And that helps de-risk it, that helps reduce the fear and, and anxiety around using this new technology. You know, right now, we see it, don't we? We see the the early adopters and the laggards. I think the, the people leaning in are leaning in horizontally at the moment, and those that are laggard are leaning right back and, and have stepped back. And so I think there's a danger in that because people leaning in too hard, too quickly could make massive mistakes. Those that are leaning back and not even thinking about embracing it could miss out considerably miss an opportunity that's probably quite substantial for their business because their competitors will use it there's no doubt and it's how they use it as well it all comes back to that educating the end customer as well to say this is how the model works this is how we use it this is what we do and just try to make them feel more comfortable this is the right decision for you this is how it works and i think that's the key factor in this is how educated on it all are you in order to educate your customer and thankfully I've got a great team around me who are, you know, geniuses in this spot to be able to advise me correctly and those associated with the business that our customers should feel comfortable working with us.
0: And where do you think we're gonna be, I guess from a learning perspective in the next five years, what do you think that's gonna the learning landscape's gonna look like for people?
1: I suppose how long a piece of string in that sense is will there be a cataclysmic event that completely tarnishes AI's reputation and that people will fall back to the way they were operating i doubt that's a gut instinct an uneducated opinion as well i doubt that will take place i think what will happen is people will go oh wow it can do this and i you know we were talking offline like you're hearing it all over the place conversations are happening imagine if it can be applied in this way imagine if it can be applied in that way you know people are inquisitive to how this technology can work for them and it's about speed it's about efficiency it's companies are at a really challenging point right now with people, power, revenue, you know, the markets are still in really challenging places. The cost of living is so high that everything's about speed and efficiency. And yeah, there will be casualties along the way. I posted it the other day, but 90% of agricultural work disappeared overnight when the tractor came along. But none of us sit around anymore going, oh, what happened to those people? Those people went and got new jobs and went into new lines of work. It it didn't disappear off the face of the earth. And I think that's what is going to evolve here. And what I believe will be those that use AI as their enabler rather than their replacer will have huge legs in front of those that they operate next to or trying to compete with. And I think in the training space alone, you know, I, I get it quite often. With Omni, you're trying to replace coaches. No, I'm not. Actually, if you look at what we do, we take your content and data, we put it into a usable platform so you can go to a customer of yours and say, I'm going to teach you this. When I leave, you'll still have access to all the content in this way. So it's personalized. Then we supply that client ours with the backend data so they can see anonymized versions of what questions and responses are coming through, which informs them to go back to their own customer and say. Did you know 35% of your workforce in the last month were asking about junior management responsibility? You should probably do some training around that. That's not taken away anyone's job. What it's done is actually probably made the training spend more efficient and more justified and more targeted at an audience that are asking for it. You've not had to wait six months for the engagement survey. You've got the data now. And that's where I'm really starting to look at our model, especially in the training space is coach workshops, do it holistic, get there, be there, be present, then deploy software, then use that data to consult the company back. And if you can do that loop, and it's funny where the names come from. If you can do that loop and that cycle, you will actually help that customer improve their efficiency in their training. So I think there's that justification of budget and spend and buying of the services in the platform. And then secondly is. I just believe people will have, be having more personalised, immersive and curated experiences in the AI space with their learning and development. that They'll just enjoy being there, almost like to the point of this thing gets me. And I, do, I don't see people coming back from that.
0: No. And that is, for me, that is the future. That's a, a hopeful future, I think, that doesn't now seem very far away. There is something in there around, and, and just, I suppose to wrap up, around change and you touched on this briefly earlier around change and then resilience I suppose on the other side of that and the the fear of change of of new things of doing things differently of approaching things differently and putting it like putting yourself in a bit of an uncomfortable position then how do you respond to that and how do you adapt and how do you change and I think it's it's really important that people recognize that yes change is happening and it can be fearful but you can come out the other side in a different way and more resilient
1: Mm. I go back to my own sort of theory on this, which I wrote about in my book, which I call the ARA model. And kind of, to be honest, I made it up. I just looked at some of the things that I've been through in the military and my experience of how we get through situations and kind of just came up with this three-letter mnemonic. ARA stands for accept the situations happening, remove the unwanted emotion and adapt to the change. Now. You can apply that to anything. You can apply that to stubbing your toe. <laughs> like it's painful, but accept it rather than cry about it. Remove the unwanted emotion, which is the anger, which is probably like flipping the sofa or whatever you stubbed your toe on. Adapt to the situation. Get yourself to A and need. That's probably a really bad example, actually. But I, I quite often reference it to the airport when your flight gets cancelled. Accept it's happening. You are not on the flight. Remove the anger, because the anger is not going to get you anywhere. Now adapt. Swim, drive, helicopter. What is next? Same for technology, same for new waves of technologies. You have to accept that AI is here. We probably have to do a bit of a job in removing unwanted emotion around it. AI is here, I'm angry. You cannot put the genie back in the bottle, it's out. So you have to learn to work with it, which means adapting. And this kind of thesis always, it's from the Marines, it's adapt and overcome. And I think this is how we have to embrace AI now, is you have to have that way of thinking, which is adapt and overcome to the situation. It's You're facing technology change on a scale that's never been seen before, never been seen before. And it does cause a huge amount of concern and anxiety and fear, but it also com- creates a huge amount of opportunity. Many entrepreneurs like me wish that we lived in the dot-com era to birth a company and be one of those many companies that came along, such as Amazon and Google and you know, the other big hitters that created extraordinary businesses during huge change. And maybe I was too young, but I'm read up on it, much like many other entrepreneurs are that there was a huge amount of fear around the internet. It's going to take our jobs, it's going to ruin our lives, this is going to increase this and going to increase that. Well, we're actually back at that situation again, where you can be one of those people that run away from it in fear and don't adapt to the situation of what's unfolding, or well, you can be one that runs towards it and do good with it. I think there's those opportunists that look at it and go, "Well, AI's AI here; it's not going anywhere." Are the ones with that, you know, accept, remove, and adapt mindset, as opposed to those which, you know, are, are laggard to it, and that's fine. People can stay in there. Those people only just building their websites for their business because they've lived in fear of having a www dot. You know that still happens in the world, and AI won't change that. My final point on that actually i suppose is my mum i love her to pieces she's a she's a very very experienced ea and works for a very senior director in the automobile industry i spoke to her a few months ago when we were starting to be a lot louder about what we do and she said well my job's dead it was blunt as that she's like my job's dead and i was like why and she's like well you know it was just such a naive comment from her she's like the terminators will be here in a month or so. And so she's envisaging it as that opening scene where that machine's rolling over all the skulls and it's killing off humanity. I was like, okay, well that's probably an extreme variant or what could happen, but that's not happening right now. And she's like, but my job's dead with it. And I said, it's not dead. It's dead. If you allow it to be dead, If you work out that AI can enable you to be quicker, faster, and more efficient in your role, you might find as you leave the company that you want to do VEA roles, and actually you found a way to look after 10 clients, whereas before you might have only been able to handle two or three. So if you work out a way to enable your skill set, you will probably flourish to those that aren't going to do that. And I think that's the danger of We've discussed the danger of those leaning in too far and causing that risk. But that is also the danger of those leaning too far back and not embracing that they will just merely get left behind. And, and in such a fast paced world that we live in, that won't be shocking for some of us when that begins to happen and unfold and the training space is no different, no different at all.
0: Mm. Great place to end though, as AI as an enabler, I think it's um, a, a positive comment to end on. So thank you, Ben, so much for sharing and very excited to continue to follow your journey. Thank you very much for having me on. This podcast is powered by Thrive. We're a complete learning and skills platform creating modern learning solutions for modern businesses globally. Check us out.